For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, a woman discovers the screenplay her late uncle wrote about his life. The problem? The movie sounds nothing like his life. We'll talk about the new podcast, Magnificent Jerk. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of These Are Their Stories podcast, My Husband and Love of My Life, my own magnificent jerk, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. I don't know if I'm magnificent. Did you think I was going to let that go by and not like use that title on you? Uh, I was kind of hoping you would. <laughs> you just let it go. No, you're magnificent. Uh, also jerk. with us is Private the Investigator. The Magnificent Store called, and they're all out of you. All right, sounds good. Uh, also with us is Private Investigator, Certified Pet Detective, Resident Cat Lady, and author of The Final Curtain, Laura Bricker. Hey, Laura. Hey, I kind of got like publicly called out by my vet today for not being a very good cat detective. Why, why is that? Um, one of my cats is having a peeing issue. Oh. <laughs> my vet, and I'm trying to figure out what's going on. So I was at the vet getting all the cats like tested to make sure they didn't have like infections. Kidney stones. Yeah. And the vet, the other vet came in and she's like, Clara Bricker, you're supposed to be a cat whisperer. You can't solve this. I'm like, listen. I've got the game camera set up in my basement. I am on the case, but so far they're eluding me. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I was publicly called out. Wait, you're a cat detective, not a cat doctor. I'm not a cat doctor, so, yeah. uh, but it was pretty funny. <laughs> Does one of them have the diabetes? Um, no, nobody has the diabetes. Um, actually, what I think is happening, because I am a cat detective, is that I think that my um, bully fat cat is actually chasing the skittish girl when she goes to the litter box. So she goes into the litter box and he chases her and then she pees right next to it. Ah, got it. it. Which is very troublesome. So Sorry, that was a really gross introduction to Crime or Design. I'm sorry. It sounds like you are, in fact, a cat detective. It sounds like you've solved the case. Just going to say. I want it to stop. That's what I want. Mystery solved. (laughs) Mystery solved, but not stopped. All right. And finally, our captain of all things cynical, the author of the City Trilogy of Novels, host of Strange Arrivals and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast, Toby Ball. Hello, you street tough Toby Ball. How you doing? Hey, good, Rebecca. How are you? Good. Um, So I just think that like this is not a visual medium, but are you okay? (laughs) Yeah, I got a pretty good black eye. I got elbowed in the face playing basketball on Sunday. Yeah. um, And got some glue and uh, you look tough. Glue? Yeah, I went in to get see if I needed stitches, oh. and it said they glued it up. Yeah, you look like a prize yep. fighter with a cut man who helped you out. That's what you look like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I look like a losing prize fighter. Yo, Adrian, yes. does it actually hurt? Uh, you know, it doesn't. Like even when it happened, it wasn't like super painful, but you know, it bled and swelled up pretty yeah. good. So, well, Toby, I hope that you are feeling better soon. Um. I'm I'm glad that you were brave enough to get through that basketball game. Did you keep playing after you got uh, elbowed in the eye? No, I it was it was bleeding pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> so I I don't think anybody was really all that jacked up for me to come back out. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Uh, heal up, Toby. Heal up. You're always a hero to me, no matter what you look like. Just yeah, that's what that. I strive for. <laughs> 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 All right. So, Kevin, this is obviously Monday's podcast. It's obvious to some people, yes. What is coming up on Thursday's show? Well, on Thursday, we're going to have a, a CWO classic rewind. We're going back to one of our most infamous reviews. We're going to be talking about manslaughter. We are. Going to play that one. Cue it up again. Spin it off. It'll be fun. Uh, we were all thumbs up on that, right? No. Uh, <laughs> but then uh, a week from today, Monday, we're going to be talking about the Netflix series Big Vape. Ah. It's about the rise. It's Big Vape, the rise and fall of Jewel. Yes. Not the singer. No. Her <laughs> hands are small, I know, but they're hers. Yes. All right. Well, um, should we just talk about the thing we're talking about on the program or should we chit chat some more? I think we've we've killed the chit chat at this point. All right, let's do it. Let's drop that first clip right now. Leading off. The box was hefty. Inside were a pile of screenplays with beige covers. Esther told me they're mostly action movies. Joanne called them kind of gangstery. But no one's ever really read them. When Maya Lynn Sugarman was cleaning out her grandmother's home, she discovered some screenplays written by her late uncle. Galen Yuan was in a Chinese street gang before becoming a small-time actor. Maya had no idea the script about his life story was made into the 1997 movie Crazy Six. The most personal scenes in my uncle's original script got cut from Crazy Six. No flashback to the funeral for Billy's father, or the one of Billy killing his childhood friend. None of the things that make Billy's character a sympathetic hero, haunted by his past. By the time Hollywood was finished with a semi-biographical thriller about an Asian crack addict looking to rip off some Oakland drug dealers, it featured Rob Lowe trying to steal plutonium from Eastern European gangsters. The screenplay sent Maya on a quest to uncover her uncle's true life story, find the real people who inspired the characters, and learn how his movie got whitewashed in the first place. I think we're in a different era, and I don't think we would... Um alter your uncle's uh, vision today the way we did then. Um, I think there's a lot more sensitivity around all of that. But did it miss the mark? Yes, by a mile. The Apple original podcast, Magnificent Jerk, produced by Pineapple Street Studios, is the true story of the fake story of a real life. The host takes a journey into the colorful past of the uncle she thought she knew and finds a tale about identity, ambition, and family. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from Magnificent Jerk. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes for our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. Now, Laura, have you ever seen this movie, uh, Crazy Six? I have not. And I, I think if I had, I might have been more interested in this podcast. <laughs> um, according to Rotten Tomatoes, it gets a 21% favorable review, and IMDb gives it a 2.7 out of 10. Mm-hmm. Whoa. So I think they made the point that it's a pretty crappy movie. It's a pretty crappy movie, but we've got Burt Reynolds, Ice-T, Rob Lowe, and um, yeah, Crazy Six. No, I have not. It's interesting because Rob Lowe starred in some like really kind of weird, like there were some obscure things he was in around that time because there was another movie that he was in that I did see, um, Illegally Yours, Mm. 
and that again, like nobody would ever heard of it. I only watched it because it was filmed in St. Augustine, Florida, where I used to go when my dad lived there. So I was like, oh, they filmed this movie here. So same, same sort of obscure type movie, I think. Yeah. One of the things is that Ice-T is in it, Kevin. This is obviously pre-SVU, uh, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So would you think this is how he got that role? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you think about the concept of the show, though, Kevin? The sh- not, not the oh. show Crazy Six, the show of this podcast? Magnificent Jerk, yes. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I do like the concept. Pineapple Street, uh, they always come through with something unique, especially when they're working with Apple. And, uh, you know, this is one of those podcasts. It's not quirky, per se, but it's just an interesting look at someone's life, and it's put together from also from an interesting angle. So, you know, I think that this is something that's like up the rally. What do you think, Toby? Because Kevin just said that it's not quirky. And I found myself wondering if this podcast could have been quirkier sometimes. That's, that's the way that I feel when I'm listening to it is that I feel like there's a lot of like material here to mine. And like I felt like it was sort of starting to go in that direction. But it ultimately ends up being like a, a pretty straight tale. And we're supposed to be getting it through the lens of this, basically this big box of screenplays that Maya discovers um, when she's with her aunt, right? Yeah, so I... I, I see the temptation for doing it that way. I don't like, I've got some questions about whether you can really take a look at somebody's screenplays or books or whatever, and then extrapolate to their own lives unless it's sort of specifically about them. So, you know, I think this probably more than other ones, like if you read my books and were trying to extrapolate something about my life from them, like, <laughs> I don't know how that would work out. And this, you know, these are action movies that that he's writing scripts for. So, you know, I, I think it works out better than I was worried that it might. But it also, like, I just kind of wonder how the narration or the narrative had to be kind of contoured a little bit so that it kind of fit within this neat package that she puts together because it really doesn't seem... It's not messy, right? I mean, she's kind of just draws these parallels between what's in the scripts and what she kind of thinks is going on in her uncle's life. And, you know, it doesn't really contemplate whether he's exaggerating, whether he's putting stuff in for just dramatic effect. I mean, like I, she gets sort of stuck on this idea that he might have killed a friend of his on, on the commands from this like gang guy because it's in uh, a couple of the screenplays and that just feels like a pretty common screenplay thing, right? It's like, you've got a gangster movie. Like one of the things that happens is like your hero has to do something freaking awful. And that's what he has to kind of come back from. And that's sort of the story arc. So anyway, I, I thought it was a good idea, you know, whether, whether it really works or not, I, I, I don't know. Uh, and I, I guess you don't have enough material sort of outside of this framing to sort of make a, make a judgment on that. Yeah. And I don't know if like the, I'm commenting on your comment or her thing or the way she looked at her thing, but I'd, I'd say that, you know, with that one particular screenplay where it's sort of labeled as, you know, his life story, I forget the, you know, the word sort of true story, true story, you know, protect the guilty or whatever. This is magnificent jerk. The true story of a fake story about a real life. That was intriguing. So I think that she was trying to find out how much of that, was actually true and working backwards at the same time she's working forwards as to how does his real life story fit into the screenplay, which fits into this Rob Lowe piece of shit movie. 
I kind of like that they went in both directions because part of this theme series is like that she doesn't realize she doesn't really know who her uncle is. She thought she did, but there's all these other, you know, parts to his his life. And I think a lot of the family didn't know about what he was doing in the street gang. I mean, they knew obviously that he went to jail for extortion, but some of those other things that he he was doing, it just seemed like it was not something that was shared. It, it's probably hard to imagine your middle-aged uncles being in a street gang as a pimp, as a drug dealer. But, you know, it sort of makes me wonder, like, how much my niece or nephew knows, like, about my life. And if I, like, suddenly vanished, like, what would they know about my personal history? Yeah. And I, and I was thinking about, like, all the lives I have lived in that time, the different things that I've done that, you know, might not be in my obituary. All people that you've murdered? Exactly. <laughs> well, that exactly. Was a, Beg for your life. That was the thing that I was wondering about, Laura, because... I found myself sort of getting engaged with this podcast and then not engaged and then engaged and then not engaged. And there were parts of it that I, I don't like stories that like are like, okay, this is the amazing part now, kids. Like, but there were some things in this podcast that I, I was like, they were actually kind of were amazing, but that they weren't underlined. And then there were, I felt like to me, there were some missing pieces. So for instance, one of the things that she finds out is that a character from this screenplay was real. Right. That they, he writes this really stereotypical dumb character of like this like Filipina lounge singer that he wanted to like run away with to like Los Angeles. And that wasn't exactly who she was, but she was real enough and close enough to the character in the screenplay. But she never really investigates whether or not there was a murder. I mean, she, she talks about it, but we never there's never any like shoe leather. Like, so let's dig into this. Like. Was there a friend who died? Was there an obituary? Was there a police investigation? And I found myself like, did we skip that part? Like, what are what exactly are we doing here sometimes? I'm really glad you said that, Rebecca, because I think what I was struggling with with this podcast is the feeling that I couldn't quite put my finger on why I wasn't feeling engaged in following this story. And I think that's because there was not a lot of suspense There wasn't like, we're now we're going to investigate this and we're going to see what we can find out. It was like, it was all told. It was all reported. We had voices. But to me, it was hard to sort of differentiate between what was important and what was not important. Because to me, it all, I don't want to say it all sort of sounded the same, but it all sort of sounded the same. And it was told in a way for me that I would be like, oh, that, like you said, well, that's, that's kind of interesting. Hmm. And then we just carried on and I didn't feel like this, like I didn't feel compelled to keep following what was going to happen next in some instances because it wasn't told in a narrative way, sort of from an audio standpoint where we were being kind of pulled along with something that would have been like one of the more sort of gripping details of the story of the uncle or what was happening. So I felt like, okay, so where's the part where I'm going to be like, holy shit, I can't believe we just found this out because I didn't feel like there was like a holy shit moment, if that makes sense. Hmm. So Toby, you have a note that I, I want to call your attention to only because I vehemently disagree with it. Uh, Uh You say that you think the general hospital storyline is a little too pat. (sighs) This is that Galen decides to get into show business because he's watching general hospital and he sees there is a storyline about Asian gangs. Why do you think that's too pat? 
No, I don't know. I mean, I don't think people change like the trajectory of their lives based on 10 minutes of watching a soap opera. I do. Well, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Toby. Uh, (laughs) No, I guess, I guess my sense is just about the way people's, you know, the arcs of their lives go is that he, in order to get to that place, like maybe that's like kind of a spark or whatever, but like not everybody wants to act in movies or whatever. There's like a certain type of, of personality or ambition or, or, or something that he clearly has. And maybe see the general hospital thing is like, Oh, well maybe I can be like actually who I am in Hollywood. But I, I don't know. That just seemed like, it seemed like one of those things that you tell people and it's like sort of shorthand for sort of a, a somewhat more complicated and longer sort of ambition and process or whatever. I, I just don't, it, it doesn't ring true to me. And it, and it sort of is reminiscent of a lot of similar things where there was like, you know, this one thing that I saw for like three minutes and it changed my life entirely. And I never looked back like that never quite seems like, really the story it's just like an easy way of, of sort of shorthanding a larger thing but you know toby it also could be that you know a thing about representation that it could actually be true that galen really hadn't seen a lot of people that look like him on television and that when he did then it kind of got the interest going that maybe if he were white and had been watching TV that it would have happened earlier or if there was, you know, more representation in television movies of of Asian Americans then maybe he would have gotten interested in that sooner. It, it's hard to say. I mean, we can only go, go by what he says. He apparently, you know, when he went to this award ceremony and that actor from General Hospital, the Asian actor that was there. Played Mr. Wu. He said who it was, yeah. You know, he he remembered him and, and basically said, this is how, you know, changed my life. It's No one really knows, though, like what happens to change your life. Like that thing, like, and my life was changed. That generally does happen sort of in a flash, right? You just never know. Like you might like hear something on one of our Patreon podcasts oh, and you're like, you know what? Yes. That is absolutely right. Changed my life. Yeah, because if you listen to us now on patreon.com slash partners in crime media, you're going to get a whole bunch of shows, including... Married with Podcast. And the thing Rebecca and I talk about is whether or not someone should sell sexy photos of her feet. Yes. Now, I'd, like, could that change her life? You don't want to see my feet with my missing toenail. No, nope. <laughs> no. That I mean, that is a kink beyond a kink. That's like putting a hat on a hat. You just don't want to do that with Lars' <laughs> feet. But, or uh, Toby's. Or Toby's. My, my, my missing toenails are like... Only the beginning of the problems. <laughs> no, nobody is being aroused by your feet. But yes. you know, maybe. But if I, you know, if Rebecca like said like maybe you should do it, might have changed that person's life. That's true. <laughs> Someone's life might be changed by listening to this week's Crime Writers on After Show. We're going to be talking as Rebecca is preparing to leave for her fiftieth birthday. Yes, and we're going to Walt Disney World to celebrate. We're going to talk about. Doing celebrations on the road, family vacation, destination wedding, maybe a birthday trip. We're going to talk about any experiences that we might have celebrating away from home. Ooh, very exciting. Also, you might like learn something really cool that changes your life by listening to Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club. Toby just recently recorded the latest deep dive, and the book was called A Death on W Street. Toby, I see you have the hardcover book right in your hand. How did the discussion go? 
Oh, it was excellent. Uh, we had a really good discussion. Uh, it was uh, Chris Joyner, who's a reporter at um, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, uh, who actually specializes in extremism. So this is like right up his alley. Sarah Kalin, who's a uh, cold case investigator uh, and podcaster. And then um, Elise McGovern, who is a uh, criminology professor mm-hmm. at University of New South Wales in Australia. Uh, so we had a lot of uh, interesting perspectives. Uh, the book is really good. It's about the murder of Seth Rich and sort of all these conspiracies that kind of spun off and sort of the uh, climate of conspiratorial thinking like right around uh, the 2016 election. Yeah. And is, is it life changing? I don't want to guarantee it's life changing, yeah. but why would you take that chance? Why would you not take a chance to change your life. You might also get your life changed by listening to Leave It to Bricker. Laura's always doing interesting things. And coming up on the latest episode, Laura is talking about how to get rid of poison ivy the old-fashioned way. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, we will have some goat poison ivy. We might have some goat yoga. You're going to have to tune in to find out. All right. Sounds really interesting. Lastly, your life could be changed by just... Splitting a gut listening to the uh, the funny, funny episode of These Are Their Stories, yes. where we talk about an episode where, well, we'll say, uh, you know, Catholic priest does what a Catholic priest is going to do. Uh, yes. Well, nobody reported him? Oh, we were just kids. I mean, it was a big deal. Our parents loved him. What are kids going to do against a parish priest? What are we saying here? Marino heard Krolinski's back in town. He knows he likes kids. Then what? Fill in the blanks, Mike. All right, Kevin, before we end the business section, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week? Our Patreon patron saints are Colleen LeClaire and Amy Logan. Colleen! Bless you. Oh, shoot. Bless you. Colleen! Amy, congratulations on being our patron saints. Congratulations to everyone who's ever been a patron saint. You know, if you belong to our Patreon, you could be a saint one day, too. You could. You could be sainted. Uh, Thanks to everyone who supports us on Patreon. I really encourage you to try it out. You can join for a year. And get a discount. There's tons of stuff back there. Or you can just try us out for a month or two and see if you like it. Thanks to everyone who listens to the business section anyway, even if you're not on our Patreon. Kevin, should we get back to the show right now? Yeah, why don't you fade that music out? I'm going to go ahead and do that. Do you ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today. Ahem. So as we were saying about uh, the storyline on General Hospital. Oh, sorry. Yeah. When I talked about my vehement disagreement. This is why I believe this detail to be incredibly true. Incredibly I think, true? I do. Okay. I think it's true. Not just true. I think that a, a thing, Magnificently that, a true, thing yeah. that I happen to know that you don't know, Toby, is how important and hugely popular General Hospital was in the mid-80s. Uh, in 1985, when the Asian Quarter storyline was taking place, this was the heyday of General Hospital. Everyone was watching it. The storyline was hugely important. It involved Felicia, Frisco, Robert, Anna, Sean Donnelly, and the Asian Quarter storyline involved the introduction of a legacy character known as Ms. Robin Scorpio, 
the uh, missing child of Robert and Anna who became mm-hmm. a legacy character. Um, today on General Hospital, beginning in the mid-2010s, I believe it was 2015 or 16, Selena Wu, who's related to Mr. Wu, returned to General Hospital and is a character on General Hospital today. My oh, so boss, many lives Selena were Wu. changed. Wow. Anyway, what I'm saying is everybody was watching it. And so I do think that it is very possible that with no representation on television at all, except for on this one show, he could have gotten this idea. That's why I vehemently disagree with you. It was hugely important in my life. And I, I mean, I watched it. I was like 12 years old and I watched it. Imagine how his life would have been different if he watched Ryan's Hope. <laughs> <laughs> or if he'd watched Days of Our Lives and then watched Marlena get possessed. Ah. <laughs> I liked Days of Our Lives. He could, have, he could have ended up becoming like a priest and doing exorcisms instead. <laughs> Sands to the hourglass. <laughs> yes. Anyway, so that's my was my counterpoint. What to is he thing. acting like on those shows? On what shows? Any show. Is it better than the acting in the podcast? Yes. You know how I think that the soap actors working, soap actors are some of the best actors working, period. Yeah. One thing I didn't care for, though, is the acting in the sort of, we can't call them recreations, but when they try to act out the screenplay version of the story. Kiss the ground. Do it now. Raul gets up instead. Fine. I'll make you do it. A quick flurry of punches and a couple of hard-hitting tie kicks takes him down. Crazy Six kicks him hard in his little fat gut. He said do it now, fat fuck! What you looking at, huh? You wanna die? What about the interrogation tapes and stuff like that? Well, okay, like, you know, I mean, I think we've come to understand, like, and, and tolerate recreations of trial transcripts, a police wire, a newspaper interview. Like, that can be mediocre, but, like, the acting for the dramatic performance, it was pretty bad. I mean, I don't know what they paid the actors, but it was too much. They paid them in gratitude. It was still too much. Mm. It was just, you really, you just really want them. And I will also say, it seems like the acting in the actual movie <laughs> wasn't that much better. No? I mean, I'll do, Rob Lowe just wants to get off the rock. Mm-hmm. Look at the, the rock, man. I want to stop smoking rock. Real bad. Do you watch the trailer, Kevin? I did watch the trailer. Mario Van Peebles with a dog wearing a Mr. Bigglesworth sweater. Abby, do you have a lot of friends? I don't have a lot of friends. You trying to kill my one loyal friend? She's sick now. You want to kill her? Apologize. I- I'm sorry. Not to me, you imbecile. To her, Abijou. I'm sorry, Abijou. Why did you have a French accent? Why does he have to be, yes. His French accent sounded like a French accent I would do. It was the worst French accent, right? Yeah. It was like this. Kevin, Kevin, can you hand me that pen? <laughs> oh, was he crazy? No, Rob Lowe was crazy six, right? Yes. Right. But the premise of the movie, like Eastern European gangsters and stolen plutonium, like it's hilariously bad on its face, but it's also really sad when you realize the source material and what it was you know, originally birthed as. Hmm. But Laura, you watched the trailer. What were your thoughts? Oh, it's just horrendous. Like, I think it shows, I think one of the the details that I really found very illuminating from listening to this podcast was that it took like, what, two weeks or three weeks to film. And like, 
Burt Reynolds was there for like one day and like Rob Lowe was there for like one week. And the one girl who got paid $2,000 was there for the whole thing. And she was like super excited because it was like her first movie. But I think the fact that, you know, they were like even like normal, like low budget movies are filmed in like three months, you know. So I guess if you watch the trailer, that will become apparent to you. Yeah. That this was filmed in like two or three weeks. Yeah. And people complain that podcasts take too long to make. <laughs> people are getting laid off left and right at podcast companies because they take too long. They take too much work. And this this company, Toby, it was interesting to hear that like this company was making like two or three movies at a time in three weeks. What did you think of that production model? Well, I, you know, you kind of wonder where these movies come from, or at least I did, because you'd see these things like this is like a good example of them where you, you see some actor like Eric Roberts is like a guy who seems like he pops up in these kinds of things. It's like, what the hell is going on? Like, I've never heard of this movie. Why is he in it or whatever? And this is the model. It's like you overpay them for almost no time. And so you get to kind of put their name on the uh, cover of the video uh, box or whatever. And it looks like they're starting in your movie when in fact, you know, you're just kind of cobbling stuff together. I don't know. I thought that that whole part was pretty interesting and I wish they maybe spent a little more time on it. I thought maybe, you know, I wouldn't want to draw parallels with like other things that were going on, but it, it did seem like sort of an interesting place for him to end up or his, at least his script to end up was in this strange kind of sea level movie factory. What I thought was interesting was the guy from the C-Level Movie Factory was like characterizing his scripts as being like, they're so authentic. like They have so yeah. much grit. And I'm like, is that what you guys are looking for, though? It doesn't really seem like it. Right. I want to know how movies like this are being made like now, because I'm sometimes yeah. scrolling through. Like there's a movie right now on Hulu, which is like the number one streaming thing on Hulu that Kevin and I tried to watch a couple weeks ago. We got through like 10 minutes of it. It's a movie To Catch a Killer with Shalane Woodley. Yeah, that was so bad. It looks like something that was made in this era, in in like this time frame. It is so... Extreme close-ups. Cheesy bad. Horrible dialogue. The whites turned all the way up. (laughs) Washing out the... Really, really bad. And I'm like, she's a real actor. Like, why is she in this stupid movie? And I bet it was made like in a couple days, right? It probably didn't didn't take that long. Well... I feel like I've had that same feeling lately. And I think this, I I just like was, when I was sick last week, um, I was like, oh, I'm just going to like watch some mindless shit on Netflix. And so I'm like, oh, what's this? I can't remember it was called like Night Angel or Night something or other. And it was like supposed to be like a thriller. And it was so bad. And I was like, oh, but I'm like, well, there's a demand for new content. And so people are just churning it out without really vetting it, maybe. I don't know. Somehow it still gets made. Of course, the, what's at the real heart of this, though, is is the story of the whitewashing of the script. So um, Galen wrote this original script that is not the film that got made. It got turned into this uh, story starring Rob Lowe. Kevin, what do you think about the treatment of that story, that the whitewashing of the script? Yeah, it's it's horrible, but not unexpected. Um, there's a case to be made, you know, to, to stand up for your art and your your truth but you know the takeaway is that and they may say this in the podcast that you know in Hollywood everyone is making concessions and so you can either be practical and say this is a trade-off in order to get your movie made or uh, if you feel strongly about it you can just you know pack up stakes and, and walk away we hear people do both things in this but interestingly to me I think is that you know the crazy rewrite 
uh, was not made by Galen. So it wasn't like he's the one who said, oh, well, you know, I have to, you know, sacrifice my artistic integrity in order to make this movie or whatever. He just, by this point, he just sort of been severed from the production and, you know, he didn't give any input into the way this was reimagined. So he kind of, he'd already lost control of where this script was going. So, you know, he was never part of the equation of getting it to where it is. So in that way, you know, I don't know if it's better or worse, but we're all writers here. We know sometimes our stuff gets taken and it, it goes in places where we don't have control over it anymore. And, um, you know, it's great if you're doing like if you do a true crime book and then eight different investigation discovery shows come along and then recreate the story and you get to see each way how they do it. And the only difference is like sometimes the scary people who are involved don't care for the way they were portrayed and they take it out on you. Yeah. Anyway, I guess I'm going, I'm getting too personal here. Uh, but, I, but you know, again, when I retell that story, I, it might be a, a Russian mobster looking to steal uranium. Plutonium. Plutonium, whatever. So Toby, um, speaking of the person who walked away, um, do you think it's a good idea to remake Stand By Me in Baltimore, but involving the Crips and the Bloods? I didn't think that was sounded like a particularly good film idea. And like they get lost in uh, Leakin Park. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, I I don't know. It was just like it was one of those. Of course, right? Of course. Like, did I hear that? Did I hear this correctly? Exactly. Um, some some studio head, right? But but do you think we have evolved? Like as a is an entertainment industry, not we, but do you think the entertainment industry has evolved past past this? Because I'm not sure that they have. Uh, you know, yes and no. You know, there's certainly there are like big movies that feature Asian actors. I mean, there's some huge Asian stars, and I think that you know, same with. Most minority groups, I you know, I'm sure I say this and then people are going to be like, well, what about this? And I'll, I'm totally wrong. But it, I mean, it's certainly better than it was in the 80s, right? I mean, it, it's just hard to picture, uh, you know, crazy rich Asians or, or any of the stuff that the guy from Kim's Convenience has been starring in recently. I mean, it's it's just, I think it's gotten better. I think, you know, where you can see the culture still at play is that people tend to freak out if a character in a book who in the book was white is then played by somebody of a different race. Exactly. Or like, why are you ruining this for me? Yeah, exactly. I always pictured them to be white and blonde. And now you're telling me that in fact, you know, it's like, all right, well, I, I hate to tell you about what Hamilton's going to be like, but uh, <laughs> so I, right. I mean, I think maybe as an industry, it's gotten somewhat better, although obviously not perfect. Uh, I think as a society of like entertainment uh, watching people, there's still a, a big element out there that has these expectations that everything's going to be about white people. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the default, right? And then what you just mentioned, you know, Crazy Rich Asians is a great example. It's a movie that centers Asian people, but it's a movie about being an Asian person. It's not just a film that is about characters and one or more of the characters happens to be Asian. Um, those are the default and stories like that are typically white people. I mean, that's like that scene in the entertainment industry is, is quote the default and very, you know, more typically a story that centers, you know, uh, minorities is about a part of the story is about the fact that they are in that group. It's not about you know, what the story is, but the, but the actors just happen to be black or happen to be Asian or happen to be, you know, South Asian. Um, and that's that I think is still a, a huge, huge problem with casting and with storytelling. Yeah, I think yes and no. I mean, I think 
it, it certainly is the default is white. I mean, I think there's plenty of shows that my youngest child has watched that have characters who are not white in leading roles about things that aren't really about sort of the cultural backgrounds of those people, but it's like the the sort of background in which these things play out is like a prep school or mm-hmm. like a band of hot vampires or whatever. <laughs> um, but but you get more representation in yes. those types of things, I yes. guess, maybe than like these big feature films. Right. Or iCarly. <laughs> which is a, a total band of fantasy. hot vampires at a prep school. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> You've got something on you got you may have a hit on your hands, Laura. Just write the script. Yes. Let's get Galen to write it. I think he I think, I think he would have done a pretty good job. He passed away though. I know, but I think he would have done a pretty good job. Do you ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today. I think we should do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out Magnificent Jerk? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for this podcast? Um, okay, so I'm going to go mild thumbs up on this podcast. With sort of the, the 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 explanation for that is, I think if I was a film buff, if I was somebody that was really into pop culture, if I had seen this movie Crazy Six that apparently went like straight to video, I might have been more interested in the story behind it. This podcast was like well made. Everything like production wise was good. We had a good host. I think for me, why I'm not giving it like an enthusiastic thumbs up is that. From a storytelling standpoint, I can't really explain what it was, but I just really wasn't super engaged in this story in terms of wanting to know what happened next. And I think that's what I struggled with. And I think if I had been more invested in the background of this movie or the people involved in the movie, maybe I would have followed along more. But I think there there was not a lot of signposting in terms of, now we have something really exciting we're going to tell you. Um, There was a lot of information, there was a lot of research done, but there wasn't something that like built to sort of, I don't want to use the word crescendo, but that that, like built to a point where I was like, wow, that was a satisfying story arc. I mean, it was really interesting, um, but I just wasn't as engaged in it as I think I could have been. So mild thumbs up. Toby Ball, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Magnificent Jerk? Yeah, I'm a thumbs up. I mean, I think they're trying to do something interesting here. And I think sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. I I kind of feel like the idea of combing somebody's art to get insights on them, you know, it's, it's a, it's a tough thing to do, even if it's like something supposedly a memoir or, or based on, based on a true story. And she goes beyond that. But that being said, you know, I think the story's interesting. Her her uncle, this guy Galen, is is an interesting character. I guess I would say that I feel like things that shouldn't have been quite as neat and tidy as they made them out to be, uh, particularly drawing parallels between screenplays and his life, and then stuff that should have been kind of neat. Like there are occasionally, like there were things 
that like little stories or whatever, you'd be like, oh, okay, that's kind of interesting. And then it never played out anywhere else. Or it didn't even give you insight into anything that happened afterwards. It was just like somebody had this story about something that happened and, and it just kind of gets dropped. With all that being said, you know, I, I think this was trying to achieve more than a lot of podcasts that we, we listen to. And just the fact that it didn't like nail every point perfectly doesn't kind of detract from the overall sort of impression I got, which is I, you know, I, I think what they were trying to do was interesting. I think what they resulted in was a little bit flawed, but still worth a listen. So I give it a, you know, a pretty good thumbs up. Kevin Flynn. Yeah, I'm thumbs up. I, I like this. Um, you know, this is one of those podcasts where you have a host who is trying to dive into the unknown family history. It's it's not a, you know, not the grandmother who got murdered podcast, but this is a, well, what is all this about here? The art of my uncle and this really horrible movie, which I think is a great, a great hook, because if the movie is supposed to be derivative of the screenplay, and the screenplay is supposed to be derivative of his life. How much truth is there and how much of the art is really reflecting what's real? And it's hard to tell when you, you know, you didn't live it. So I do like that this is the way that she goes back to rediscover her uncle and then try to see like, well, how does this fit into this movie at all? And while, you know, we can start from having a really bad action film, the, the path between Galen's uh, youth and Rob Lowe wanting to get off the rock or whatever it was he kept saying uh, and, and Burt Reynolds in um, in Eastern Europe. I think it's an interesting path. So, you know, it's not perfect, but it's uh, it's certainly an interesting tale. So thumbs up. Yes, I'm a mild thumbs up for this podcast. I agree with everything that you guys said, and I want to add something else to it. I think this podcast is, is beautifully made in many ways, but it's also flawed in one way that really sticks out to me besides the lack of signposting, which is that Maya discovers some actually quite troubling things about her uncle along the way and doesn't explore those things fully. And I find myself wondering, aside from the fact that I think the podcast is sort of struggling about what it is supposed to be, is she digging into her uncle's life so she can bring it back to her aunts and really like unpack that? Is she trying to discover something about herself by discovering something more about him? Is she trying to um, sort of figure out, you know, something really about her family? Is she really trying to redeem somebody who had a, a, a troubled young life and sort of broke away from his family? Is she trying to do that art versus life story? It just seems to be trying to do too many things but then when we get big moments that seem like, whoa, I didn't, wasn't expecting that or I didn't like that, she sort of runs away from them. And there's something there that I couldn't stop thinking about. And I'm like, we just rushed by this and we should really pause on that and, and think about it and think about what it means in the context of this story and think about what it means for this family and think about what it means you know, for the women in this person's life, think about what it means, you know, sort of in a, in a broader context, because it's not nothing to discover revelatory things about a subject that you have dedicated a podcast around. Also, I don't understand the name. We had our episode six I've listened to and I, I still don't, we haven't heard any yeah, one more to episode the, to left. the name yet. Yeah. So anyway, um, yeah, so I, I like the podcast. I just don't love it. And I, I feel like it just still an episode six is, is trying to find its footing. And, and I, following along, but not 100% sure on what it is, is. So mild thumbs up. 
Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the, the crime, crime of, of the, the week. week. A Georgia man knew he'd be paying a big fine for doing 90 in a 55 mile per hour zone, but he didn't think it would be this big. Connor Cato says the city of Savannah sent him a speeding ticket for $1.4 million. He called up. Sure, this was some kind of typo, but a clerk said he either had to pay the fine or show up in court to argue it. A city spokesman said the seven-figure penalty was just a placeholder amount generated by their software, and they're working to correct the bug. Even though the state caps traffic fines at $1,000, Cato will still have to answer the summons. A judge will set the final amount. Here's hoping he's got a sense of humor. So panel, instead of paying the fine, maybe this driver could work it off. What kind of community service could he do to make up that 1.4 mil? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Um, he can totally come to Queen as Fuck Exeter, New Hampshire and help clean up the dog poop off the sidewalks yeah. because mm. it has picked up again. Oh, no. You mean it's not being picked up again? It's not being picked up again. It's uh. being dumped down again. That guy uh, thought he was getting away with it, so he just like took a little I break. Knew it wasn't. Oh, little does he know, I now have two game cameras. Nice. Uh, uh, Toby Ball, what do you think the kind of community service would be that would make up this $1.4 million fine? Get Rob Lowe off the rock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Kevin? Uh, he could be a sketch artist at uh, all of those Georgia Trump conspiracy trials. Oh, yeah. That would be a... It's a lot of work. A lot of work. All right. That's going to do it for us. But before we go, Laura Bricker, I have a final question for you. Do we have a Cat of the Week this week? We do. In honor of Orange Cats, which you know are my favorite, one of our Brichter Scale members, Shanna Smith, just adopted two orange cats. I'm so excited. I love when I get people to adopt orange cats. Their names are Fred and George. If you know, you know. Toby, you should know this. The Weasleys from Harry Potter. Oh. Why should I know right. Because you have kids who would totally have read Harry Potter. But anyway, um, so Fred he and George. He still hasn't seen the Goonies. <laughs> <laughs> and even though Shanna has had two, uh, she has had cats for most of her adult life. This is the first time she's adopted kittens together. And she is hoping for success because she's never had the babies that she's raised from kittenhood, especially two orange terrors. So good luck with those boys. I'm very jealous. They're very adorable. Laura, you don't need any more cats. Don't be jealous. But if folks want No, I don't. I don't need any more cats because I have this cat pee thing. I don't need any more fucking cats. <laughs> you know, Robbie is suffering from that same issue with her cats. Maybe you guys can commiserate. Oh. Laura Bricker, or maybe it's a poop problem that she has. I can't remember. Laura Bricker, if folks want to reach out to you to pitch their animals to be cat of the week, it could be any kind of animal. How can they find you on social media? They can find me at Laura Bricker on Twitter. Tony Ball, what about you? How can you be found online? At TobyBallNH. Kevin Flynn, what about you? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. If you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram or anywhere else, you can find me at Reb Lavoie. Follow the show everywhere at Crime Writers On. We're also on YouTube. I encourage you, though, to join our incredibly healthy, totally non-toxic, official Crime Writers On Facebook group. We've got a bunch of new members join this week. I think I'm just doing a better job pitching it. It's a great group. It doesn't suck. We don't gossip. We're not snipey. It's just... Fun. Go to Crime Writers On. Find us on Facebook. See, it's gotten better since I got locked out of Facebook. I, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it's. I think that other Facebook groups have devolved, and people uh -huh. are looking for a new home. And ours is the one. 
Go to our Facebook group. It's rad. Find us on Facebook. Hit join the group. Don't forget to follow our show on your favorite podcast app and share it with friends if you like it. We could use the listeners. Get episodes early and ad-free at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You'll get the Crime Writers on After Show, Married with Podcast, Laura Bricker's Leave it to Bricker podcast, and Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcasts. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the terrific Livy Burdett. The executive producer of this program is Kevin Flynn, magnificent jerk. This show was recorded in the Treehouse Yoga Studio above the Mockingbird Cafe in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi Studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet, in our New Hampshire basement, where we also hide our screenplays about Eastern European mobsters stealing plutonium while addicted to crack. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. later. Let's do it. Let's drop that first clip and get into it right now. Exactly. With its, I'm a jerk. Laura's cat's peeing everywhere, and Toby's got a shiner. <laughs> yeah. Moving on. What's wrong with me? Okay, th- let me have it. Let me have it. You're Thank 20 God minutes late to this everywhere. recording. Yeah, I was late. And you blame someone else. Oh, her clock was slow. Well, it was really my fault because I was slow to look at it. <laughs> Partners in, in crime, crime media. media.